All right. Hi, this is Robert from the 12 pound podcast. I am here with my mom, Bobby. Hey mom. Hi Robert. As a quick reminder, the 12 pound podcast discusses life's changes and how we hope to help you face them through shared stories and experiences. I already said hi to you, so I don't have to say hi again. You can say it, it again. Be- I'm going to say it again. It's a beautiful day in Philadelphia. The rain finally stopped yesterday after what felt like a month of gray weather. I'm on Drexel University's campus down the hall from our dear friend, uh, Barry Litsky, who was on our podcast a few weeks ago uh, when we were talking about aging and uh, what it was like to, to care for our parents as, as we get older and they get older as well. And mm. off video, uh, I think we have formally created a new club called the I Love Barry Litsky Club, which we are now founding members of, and we're recruiting new members. And I'm very excited that we have found one today. Our guest, I am very happy to introduce uh, Dr. Tara Ceranic Salinas to our show today. Hi, Tara. How are you? Hello. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It is so nice to see you. Now, you are in California, San Diego. It looks gorgeous. I can tell your your lighting is better than my fluorescent light it conference is room. 70 degrees and sunny right now. I'm Perfect. sorry to say. Actually, I'm not sorry. I live here. It's fantastic. <laughs> and being that I grew up in <laughs> Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I, I know what you're dealing with. So I will. Take you don't ever get tired of it, sunshine. though. You don't ever get tired of that perfect weather. I I do not. <laughs> That's good. That's I think good. I remember. Do you remember uh, my younger son was out in California for a while, and coming from New England, he said that he didn't. At first, it really bothered him because he didn't want to have to be happy every day. <laughs> <laughs> it was like here another beautiful day. <laughs> There are, there are worse problems to have. That's what I think. That's what I think. But uh, yeah, the sun's out here too as well. It's going to be about 70. So I'm going to enjoy this. Yeah, I do remember he would really, and I remember too, if it rained in Los Angeles where he was for many years, it was, uh, it was kind of a reason not to go outside and people, he, he, at least him and his wife love that excuse to be able to stay in and and I kind of get it a little bit because you, you figure I lived in Florida for a while and every day it's like really nice. And when it would rain, it would be like, okay, I can get something done inside. You know, I'll do some laundry or I'll do this or I'll do that. You don't feel compelled to be out, you know, enjoying yourself. You can come in and be miserable. <laughs> it, it's an opportunity to be a little snuggly. I lived in Seattle for five years for grad school. And so I was over rain for quite some time. And now it's nice. It's cute when it rains. Um, and then we need to go back to normal life where it is sunny and everyone feels good all the time. Yeah. The lighting's great. Well, we feel great having you on our show today. Thank you so much. And just as a quick introduction, Tara is a professor of business ethics at the University of San Diego. Uh, Tara's research is focused on understanding what motivates ethical behavior in a variety of contexts. She is currently working on a book about recognizing and removing the invisible burdens on women at work called tight roping. Uh, which, Tara, you define on your website as the act of constantly modulating behavior in order to change, hide, or tamper down parts of yourself in, to fit in at work and beyond. Uh, so we, we thought that was so interesting. You know, one of, um, uh, one of our central themes to the podcast is, is change and dealing with change and sometimes, you know, having to adapt to situations uh, because you're just trying to manage through the challenges that that change can bring really seem to fit well into, into what you're working on with this new book. And then of course, uh, you know, our friend Barry Litsky had introduced us to you and um, we were just so excited to have this opportunity to, to speak with you today. 
So could you tell us, I'm so curious, how did the book come to be and the genesis of kind of the initial thought of, of putting something out there to help people, uh, you know, fix this, this issue that you see? The book is an idea that has been percolating in my brain for several years now. And where it really started was I did a keynote talk for a women's leadership conference. And I was looking out over a room of about 300 women. And I was talking about this balancing act that we have to do where you can't be too smart, but you can't be dumb. You can't look too good, but you can't be frumpy. And I kept making a sort of hand gesture where I was balancing. And I just saw all of these heads nodding. This just instant recognition from these women in the audience going, yeah, I do that. And the more I thought about it after that, the more I realized what a colossal waste of our time. We're spending our kind of mental resources and our actual time trying to hit this perfect balance in, frankly, a system that we didn't create and that isn't for us as women necessarily. So we're operating in this sort of organizational context that tell us you you should, you should behave in a certain way. And I just got to a point where I, I didn't want to do that anymore. I feel like women could spend their time in much more useful pursuits than worrying about things like the tone of the email that they just sent. And so I just, I kept, I kept kind of uh, mulling it over. I kept talking to my husband about it. And that I realized there were certain things that I was doing. And when I would mention them to my husband, he would say things like, I wouldn't even think about doing that. <laughs> and that's when the realization, you know, it, it's hard when you, you know, you're doing it and you talk to your friends and you know, they're doing it. And so I was thinking, maybe it's just us type A women who have become professors. Maybe it's us. And But the more I talk to women in organizations, the more I realize it's all of us. It's everywhere. And it negatively impacts women. But then I think the other part of it, and this is really another driving force of the book, is it impacts companies too, right? If, if all of these smart women are spending time worrying about how their emails come off or whether or not they should speak up in a meeting, that's time where they could be actually productive. So I see this as like a, a, an, an impact on like the bottom line as well. So it's sort of a, it's a twofold issue. And because of that, I think it needs a sort of twofold or maybe more solution. From a solution perspective, how how are you thinking about presenting, you know, the, the fixes to it? Um, because it is a, I, I think it's interesting. It it sounds like it's partly predicated on the work that you've done for your career, which is bringing in business ethics, so kind of how you operate and treat your employees from a a corporate management perspective. But then there's this very personal side. You know, how do I change my behavior? That's something that mom works on with her clients from a coaching perspective. She's had some of her clients who have had exactly as you just described it. I spent 10 minutes worrying about what I was going to say in a meeting only to kind of, yeah. you know, lose sight of what was, was most important to, to what I was trying to deliver. So we'd love to hear how you see th that fix happening. Like what type of advice are you giving to people and how are you going to frame it in terms of the methodology? 
the part that you mentioned about my business ethics background, that is part of what's driving this. Cause from my perspective, right, there is a certain way to treat people and implicitly or explicitly expecting women to change their behavior in order to fit into this organizational context. I just don't think it's okay. So I personally see it as an ethics issue. And that's kind of one of the things that I'm always thinking about. Um, But you're right. Part of this is really personal. And that's why I'm calling it um, a multi-party solution. So I have I've broken the book down to think about the first section is all about why does this exist in the first place? And so I talk about cultural structures and patriarchy and misogyny and all of those not very fun things to talk about. But then I have a whole section about personality and why we behave the way that we behave. Because sometimes I forget that I am... I'm sort of set in a very specific environment. Everyone around me studied social psych. They know psychology literature. Like that, it's just second nature for us. And then I realize normal people don't talk about this stuff all the time like we do. And so I thought it would be really useful for women to understand the way essentially their their brains are functioning and how and why it's driving their behavior. Because I'm a really big proponent of if you don't understand why you're doing it, you're not going to be able to stop doing it. And so it's this part of the solution is women with the caveat of this isn't self-help. I I end up feeling very frustrated when we have to be part of the solution to a problem we didn't create in the first place, (laughs) right? But we've got to know, we've got to know ourselves and understand all of these societal influences that are driving this behavior in order to stop doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. those internal changes that we are engaging in, they're important, but they're only part of it. So then the other part is the organization itself, the people who are in positions of power and leaders. And when I say leaders, I mean anyone at any level of the organization who has some influence in decision-making, they've got to speak up and support women. And one of the things that I'm advocating for, and it's hard to do and I know I even have trouble doing it is calling out the inappropriate and bad behavior when we see it in a way that is not behind closed doors. So when a sexist comment is made, it's not, oh, ha ha, that's just how he is. It's that comment was inappropriate and not aligned with the culture that we are creating here. Because unless women start to see leaders in the organization supporting them, they're going to assume I got to keep on tightroping. I got to keep on hiding these things because no one is protecting me. And so you've got sort of the organization doing a better job at calling out the bad behavior. You also have to work on diversity, equity, and inclusion, in organizations and not in a superficial sort of way, not in a, oh, check out the link on our website. We love diversity. And then you actually come to the organization and you realize there are two women there, 
right? You don't love diversity. You love saying that you love diversity because you know that's what people want to hear. So it's got to be sort of this culture shift that happens. It has so much to do with people, women that I've been coaching that, um, you know, are incredible women, you know, whether they're in the corporate world, whether they're entrepreneurs in, in business, even their own that they have a part of, but they're usually surrounded by men. The women that I've coached actually are usually surrounded by men. And I'm certainly not male bashing because sometimes a lot of it is their interpretation, you know, their interpretation of what they think these men are thinking, you know, that's how exactly you know that? right. How do you know what he's thinking? Well, I don't think he'd want to hear that. Really? Did he sell you that? You know, so it's, there's so much involved in the why there's also women. I, you know, there are women that don't help women. Yes. Women have to help women. When a woman gets a promotion, now she's one of the, the guys and acting that, you know what I mean? And not supporting women. So, I mean, there's so many pieces, but the piece I find the most with people that I coach, I love this book. I lo- I, I want this book. <laughs> I think this book would be <laughs> terrific for, uh, I went to uh, IPEC um, coaching I I think you should sell this book to them because it's such a huge part of coaching. It's, it's almost, almost 90% of it, you know, whether, because the bottom line is, which it took me a long time to grasp is I'm not good enough. That's the bottom line. And I thought, what do you mean? You're not good enough. You're brilliant. You know, I was just like, how can you think, you know, how can you, why, but all that nonsense, it doesn't, they do, they, you feel that way and you, and you don't have a voice, you know? And you also, a lot of young women, they don't have any experience doing it anyway. The first time's the hardest, you know? So it would be a great book for any kind of coaching courses from what I'm hearing and from what I read on your thing. You even talk about the same thing. There's a section in there on uh, SMART. Um, we call it AIM SMART. I well, like it all. I like it, I like it about- Mom's excited, Tara. Mom's <laughs> excited. I love it. I love I it. Excited. If we could find um, a book agent or an editor who is equally excited, that would be amazing. <laughs> What you said about the other people not realizing it happened, I just collected data on that for exactly what what you said, because I was telling my dad about this book. My dad was in real estate for 50 years. He's in his mid seventies. And I was explaining this. And he said, what are you talking about? I didn't know women do that. And I had this sort of, huh? If men don't know we're doing it, why the hell are we doing we're it? We're doing it, right? right? And so the data that I just collected, I got a sample that was just representative of U.S. population. Um, I focused on people who are working full time. And I asked, are you doing this? Are you engaging in tight roping? And then I asked, do you think other people are doing this? Because I, what I want to look at is, First of all, I do not think it is only women doing this. I think that any group that has essentially been systematically minoritized are doing this because they're trying to fit in to what what a leader is supposed to look like. And it's it's a white guy. So they all these groups are tampering down parts of themselves. But I wanted to start from my own experience and what I know. And I'm a lady and I've I've engaged in this behavior for years and I don't want other women to get to their mid forties 
and finally go, I don't want to do this anymore. Imagine the time I could have saved if back when I started my doctoral program 20 years ago, I didn't care and I wasn't tight roping. It, it could have been a very different experience yeah. for yeah. me. Absolutely. It, it is what it is. And I ended up where I am and I'm talking about it now and I'm really happy about that, but I would love for other women to, to feel that they don't have to do this. And that there are exactly what you were saying, Bobby, the supportive women around them who are willing to speak up for them and advocate for them in organizations, because there are women who don't support other women. But the unfortunate thing is that is taken as an assumption and as if that is the way the majority of women behave. So you know, back in the seventies is when the research really um, came out on the queen bees, right? The queen bee syndrome, like, oh, one woman is successful. And then she holds everybody else down. That's just not the case, but that narrative really works to sort of keep the structures the way that they are. And narrative and sometimes excuse. Yeah, exactly. To say, oh, well, I mean, we'd love to have her. If she weren't, I would be, yeah, yeah. There's But- She's a little catty, yeah, right? Yeah, she doesn't, exactly. And it, it's exactly. just, it's just an excuse. And you know, I mean, you can't control someone else's behavior. So what you can do is be, you be supportive. You make sure that you, that's who you are. You know, I can't control what Jacqueline's going to do in the meeting, but I sure as hell can control what I'm going to do. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just, uh, boy, it's, it's really interesting stuff because you said, you know, what companies miss out on, you know, some of these women I've talked to they're you know, they need to hear what you have. This isn't like, well, it's a bad idea. You know, this is good stuff that you're just holding, you know, keeping to yourself, you know, because you're afraid nobody's listening. Nobody wants to hear it. That's what they, they would say. I don't think anybody's interested in that. And yeah, that's yeah. such That's such a misnomer, right? Everybody comes to the table with these unique experiences and skills. I just wrote a blog post on transferable skills and the fact that a lot of times we, we sort of ignore some of the things that we've learned in jobs that we think aren't quote unquote good enough to go on our resume. And I bartended in college and I wrote about the fact that Bartending prepared me more to be a professor than many other things that I did, right? Mm -hmm. So I think as women, we discount these useful skills. Like you want to manage a lot of stuff at once, go bartend on a football Saturday, right? You want to, you want to kind of tamp down students who are being obnoxious in class, deal with drunk people on a Saturday (laughs) night, right? Before closing, like these are useful Absolutely. Absolutely. I think as women, we need to acknowledge that, but organizations need to get it as well. Like they are missing out on so much. And now women are being a lot pickier post pandemic. I think companies need to do better at acknowledging those, those new skills. Otherwise they're just going to see a mass exodus. Right. We already had, we had the great recession or the, the great resignation. Um, and a lot of the reasons why women left the workforce, it didn't have anything to do with their job. It had to do with the untenable situation of 
life at home and work and family all at the same time, right? So, I mean, I think that companies need to do better or their pool of who they're going to be recruiting from is going to be way less fantastic than they want it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I, I think that's one thing about the, the the DEI training that a lot of companies and um, employees are starting to get now. Something that seems to be, it's in there, but it's not as focused on, which is the, the fact that um, there are you know groups of people who are coming into the workforce who don't have the traditional background or don't have the traditional skills or don't have the traditional resume. So rather than screening them out immediately, you know, at the, at the, at the onset of a, of a, of a recruitment process, you know, you better understand the fact that people from different diverse backgrounds typically have a, a more diverse upbringing and have seen different things and different jobs and different paths along the way. And it's those types of, um, uh, you know, it's those types of skills that can really benefit an organization because, you know, it, it creates uh, healthy differences in the way that we approach problems. Well, and not having women fully represented in your organization, you're missing out on how half of the world behaves. I heard a great example the other day. My husband works in corporate and privacy, and it's two men and a woman on their team. And there was a data breach at Sephora, the makeup store, right? Somebody hacked, they got emails and I think maybe names. And the two men in the group said, oh, well, that's really going to, it's going to impact Sephora's stock price. And the woman looked at them like they were crazy. She was like, no, it's not. They were like, what do you mean? They got hacked. And she was like, we don't care. Sephora sells the one thing that I love to put on my face, steal my data. I'm going to go buy my face cream, right? That's just not a piece of information that would have been available had she not been in that meeting. And if you're going to make projections based on two dudes in a room, you are missing out on crucial information. That's all true. Earlier on, when we were kind of touching on ethics and corporate culture and people feeling comfortable enough or safe enough to bring up, you know, the things that are making them uncomfortable. Are you seeing changes in corporations? Is it, is it starting to take hold or human, you know, human resources policies starting to to affect some of the the change that you you would you know you kind of would hope would happen or are people still scared to to speak up changing culture is a slow process um when i teach about corporate culture i say a lot of times people just kind of let it happen um and so for culture change to happen companies have to be very specific about it and so Rob, you were talking about DEI stuff. Well, what a lot of companies are doing is the diversity part where they say, oh, we want to see people who look different. And okay, that's that's only one component of diversity, right? right? So first of all, they're, they're kind of missing some of the points. But then the other parts, the equity and inclusion is where they just drop the ball. So you get these companies who love to tell, look at our newest class of interns. They're so diverse. And then they can't convert those interns into employees because they have no policies for legitimate inclusion. So instead, what happens is the people who are brought in as their new, exciting, diverse candidates are then the people they turn to to go, hey, how do we do diversity? That's not their job. That's not the job of the new people to explain it. 
So I think steps are being made, especially post pandemic. Although, I mean, let's be honest, the pandemic is still happening, but as people are returning to the office more, I think organizations, they're starting to realize that there's a problem, but a lot of them don't know where to start to fix it. And so you get a lot of, let's start an employee affinity group. Okay, great. That's not, I'm not going to complain about that. That's awesome, but that's not sufficient to shift the culture. Um, so they've got to bring in people from the outside experts who can say, here's what I see happening. And here's what I suggest you actually change. And it's slow and it's not easy and it will cost money. But at the end of the day, if you have employees who are happy, who are seeing that you are willing to invest in this change, they're willing to stick around when times aren't so great. You know, when they have that alignment between what's important to them and what the company is actually doing, there are benefits that go beyond the bottom line for organizations. And Mm -hmm. one of the sections in the book that I'm, I'm talking about is what is corporate culture? What are its functions? Because again, that's what we teach. That's, you know, we think about that all the time, but a lot of other people outside of academia don't. So I wanted there to be an understanding of what are the pieces that make up corporate culture so that people can understand sort of where they can start making those changes. Because there's no situation in which somebody new walks in the door and is like, all right, new culture starting today. It's not how it works. Because there's still that guy who's been here for 40 years who was like, that's not how we do it. We got to do it this way because it's the way we've always done it. And so until those people start to leave and new blood comes in, you know, it's a tricky shift to make. Yeah. Or somehow, wouldn't it be nice if they didn't have to leave? You know, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if they, you know, somehow people would just get a little more receptive to change? Because so many of our podcasts, that's what it's about. Change is hard. Changing light bulbs, anything I change, you know, it's, you have to think about them. Do I really want to do that? Do I, you know, so change in anything is hard. And especially when you've been doing something the same way, and it's not a horror, some of it's not a horrible way, but it could be so much better. It could be so much better, right? So do we want better or we just want to sort of just stay the same, you know, all the time, the same doesn't, I don't think growth doesn't usually follow. Yeah, we've been the same for 40 years. Yeah, and you haven't grown for 28. Yeah, change is tough. And I was thinking before we were talking, you used the word you have and Robert has a few times, uncomfortable, you know, how things are uncomfortable. And I don't know where I heard this. Maybe I heard it from you, Rob, because, you know, it was brilliant. <laughs> um, <God. laughs> look at his face. He's like, shut up, mom. Usually He's this said- is off camera, so I can air roll. Yeah, he'll edit this anyway. Um, we, you know, we want people to be comfortable. We want them to be comfortable. Well, we make people so comfortable that that's why they pull back. You know what I mean? That safety net, that zone. I think there should be corporations should have uncomfortable weekends. We're going to take you to a spot and make you as uncomfortable as we possibly can and put you in every uncomfortable situation so that you can handle them. You know, we don't do that. We don't, we put people in comfortable situations. Well, and I think Bobby, who, who is the person whose comfort is considered? It's the majority, right? Right. So it's, it's, 
as long as the the people who have been there forever who are usually white men sorry Ralph um are are kind of in the status quo then those are the people who everybody wants to make comfortable and if they don't want to change and they're not willing to have this discussion it's a real uphill battle especially when this change is being driven by younger women, right? I I teach this women in management class. And I always say to my students, they they're usually junior seniors when they take it. And I said, I need you all to go out into the world and own that. You know what you are talking about. Mm -hmm. There's this, this willingness to just sort of dismiss young women and I'm sorry, they went through the University of San Diego Canal School of Business. They are intelligent. They are well-read. They are able to think critically. And so business is sort of poo-pooing what they said because, oh, they don't don't look the part. Again, it's just another massive misstep on their part. At least I'm, I'm speaking from financial services and asset management. And one of the ways that this is trying to be addressed is through things like DEI, as well as ESG, environmental, social, and, and governance investing. But then there's the, this new school of thought that's starting to question even the ESG principles, which is more character-based. How do, you, how do you change the character of leadership? How do you change the character of your employees? And if you can, if you can integrate kind of four key principles into the way that employees uh, and leaders in companies behave through integrity, responsibility, um, compassion, and forgiveness. And they become part of the fundamental uh, metrics that you look at when you're evaluating people on those 360 reviews and everything else that people get worried about when, you know, they're, they're considering their job and job preservation. If you can get people to take responsibility for their choices, if you can have them tell the truth, keep the promises that they make, let go of the mistakes that they make or others make, and just asking for help with a little bit of empathy, then you can, you can change culture, but you know, it it just, it'll take a little bit more time, but it's more, um, it's more of like a subconscious change that can affect the consciousness of, of a company. So it's nice to hear more of that happening, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a slow, it's a slow take up rate, to, I think. Yeah, and it has to, I mean, if you think about it, people are, who are they bringing to the table? They're bringing themselves. And like you said, they're bringing their personality. They're bringing what's going on at home. You know, um, you're talking about leadership. I'm going to do a, um, um, a leadership thing at the chamber of commerce and what i want it's really interesting that they're doing that because it's they were really only bringing in business people to talk to business but you know how good is your business when you're coming in and you hate this and your husband I'm, and my life is a shambles you know and now i'm coming in i'm gonna lead i'm gonna be empathetic i'm gonna be i don't even want to be here yeah you know i don't even and what you have to say you're annoying you know it's it's there's well, so many parts to everything and i think Companies sometimes do a really bad job. I always talk about the fact that people work at companies. We are human beings. So Rob, when you're talking about the importance of, you know, empathy, that's key to this shift. Just acknowledging like sometimes life outside of work is just a hot mess. And sometimes people are going to have off days and that's okay. Acting like you can just set all that aside and roll into work and do your job 
it's just not realistic. And I think that's that's sort of part of the culture shift that has to happen. This sort of humanity of work and the fact that you are managing people. Yeah. COVID, uh, you know, we, we talked about this before, Tara, I think kind of exposed a lot of that where all of a sudden you're home and uh, unlike mom's background, which is the nature conservancy, a lot of times the background was your kids, your dog, your house, the chaos that's going on. And I, I, I know a few people whose companies uh, started requiring them to be on camera. You know, you, the video camera has to be on no matter what's happening. And, and that's uh, literally and you, a violation of DEI. That is yeah. not taking into consideration people's lives, people's constraints, right? I mean, we we dealt with this a lot um, during COVID with our students where we said, we would love it if you have your camera on and if you can't, so be it, right? Like you, you have to understand, like some of our students were at home with, four or five brothers and sisters, right? And those kids on Zoom. And you've got to recognize that people are facing challenges and those challenges are going to come to work with them, whether the organization wants them to or not. And you also have to recognize, I think that they, you know, I'm sure there would be a lot of, well, they should be on. I don't know if they're even in class. I don't know if they're, hey, uh, you know, that's your problem. You're, you know, you're, you're an ad- adult, young adult, you're paying the tuition, you know, that's, that's your choice, you know, whether you're going to, whether you're really there or not. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, COVID is, um, this last couple years, it'll be interesting down the road to real, when they start putting all those or a lot of the pieces together as to what effect that has had on so much, you know, just so much from, well, and from I think relationships to workplace, to you name it, to puppies. Part of, the, part of the stress from COVID, this just lack of boundaries between home and work life. I think that has driven a lot of us to just a breaking point. We're maxed out. And Honestly, for me, I think that was part of my real push to try and stop tightroping. It's like, I have so much other stuff going on that I don't care about the tone of my email or the fact that I'm wearing my nose hoop instead of a tiny stud that no one can see because I need you to do stuff. And I don't need to use 17 pleases and smiley faces and exclamation points, because frankly, if I were a man, I would not be doing that. Right. And so I think that's, that's a real big part of it for me is like, we're, this is a great opportunity as people are heading back to work to just sort of say, I don't want to go back to the way things were. I, I spoke to somebody for an interview and she asked me, well, how long do you think it'll take for us to sort of get back to where we were? And I was like, I don't want that. Right, exactly. I don't want that at all. I don't want women to be paid less because they are women. Um, you, you know, like, I don't think what we were doing was great. And now we have this offer, opportunity to sort of just shift things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, my hope is that, I can get a lot more people on board with the shift because I know the scariest thing is trying to do it on your own. 
So one of the things I'm advocating for is you got to find your support person or people at work. And I think about this a lot in terms of female friendships at work and the value that those hold. that maybe, maybe you start off. I, I was thinking about people kind of baby stepping into getting off of this tightrope, but maybe you don't say it yourself, but you, your friend steps in and says like, wow, that wasn't appropriate. Um, you know, it's these little changes during COVID. Um, we went through a time when we were doing a ton of meetings on zoom and it became very evident that the women were consistently being interrupted by men on the calls. <laughs> and what I saw happen, nobody said anything. We didn't plan it, but it was every time a female colleague got called out or interrupted by one of the men on the calls, another woman would say she was not done speaking. And man, does that stop people in their tracks? Cause mm -hmm. sometimes you feel like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't say anything. Oh, when somebody else says it, you're like, yeah, I was talking and I have some other things to say, right? So it's this having a sort of a, a little bit of a, a support network who's also essentially tired of tightroping and you all kind of start to dismount a little bit at a time together. And I think that's an important part of sort of a, a safety net in, yeah. in getting off of this tightrope. Yeah. I was thinking about Robert and I were just talking about a woman I coached and she wanted to, and definitely deserved more money. You were just talking about sort of, it's got certainly gotten better, but um, you know, she was going in for, uh, for a raise and her confidence level was, you know, I don't know. And, 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 and it was funny with her. It was just a matter of her talking about why she was asking for this raise, you know, what, why did she think she deserved this race? You know, what, what was this all about? And practicing what was so uncomfortable for her to say. And we practiced it. And, and even a half an hour before she went into that meeting, I want to hear it. You know, I want to hear that confidence and why you, that experience will take her. She did it, not me. She did it. She has practiced on me. Right. But that experience will take her to that next race, you know, and that, because, you know, it's because it's a win, you know, it's a win. I did it. You know, I did it. She was really uncomfortable doing it for sure. But um, when, you know, when you, when you get those accomplishments, those wins, you know, it's, um, it, it's, it's just great stuff. It's great. Well, stuff. And I find that when I'm questioning whether I should be asking for something or doing something, um, my girlfriends and I have a go-to and it's the like, well, if what would a, what would a dude do in this situation? And it's like, Oh, you totally asked for the raise, right? There's a great, uh, there's a t-shirt that says, carry yourself with the confidence of a mediocre white man. <laughs> just, just roll in there and be yeah. like, what's Stand up? Forward. Look at all the work I did. Give me the money because I deserve it. And I, I sometimes think it's that shift, but this is where that support network comes in, right? The You text the friend and they're like, what if you were a dude? And it literally it resets your brain and you're like, you're right. What if my behavior would completely change? And that's where those little, those little changes, I think, start to snowball. And the idea of practicing it with somebody else is really great because it is hard because we've been conditioned. Yes, you know, absolutely. You, you're talking about the challenges of change and 
the biggest challenge that we're facing is that this behavior is so ingrained in us, right? From, from little kids, we believe that people who look like X should behave like this. I mean, I show, I show a video um, to my women in management class. They're little kids. They're maybe four. And they have a, a Barbie doll and a Ken doll. And they show them to the kids. And it's like, who goes to work? Kids all point to the Ken doll. Who does the dishes? They all point to the Barbie doll, right? Like this stuff is just part of part of everything that is around us. And that's why the change is so hard. So like I said, it's not, it's not gonna, it's not gonna come quickly. Um, it's not ever gonna go away, but it's a process. And I think it's worth it because we have so many smart talented, capable women in organizations now and about to graduate from college. And those women need to know that all, all of the skills, all of the knowledge, all of who they are is valuable in an organizational setting, all of it. And, you know, I use a lot of academic research to support the things that I'm talking about in the book. And there's just so much out there about why women are essentially problematic in workplaces. And the researcher in me thinks, why, why did you do a study on whether or not women should be funny at work? Like, are there no other things we could be talking about in an organizational context? Right. But like, you read these things and you see them and it's like, oh man, okay, so I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be funny because that men don't like it when I'm, when we're funny and I should, uh, I should look nice, but like, don't look too nice because like that is distracting. Um, and I should also like not be rude, but make sure that I am assertive, but not aggressive right? It's just, that's the tightroping. That's the constant, the constant time suck that I want them to be able to set aside and not have to do for the benefit of them and the benefit of the organizations that they work in. Yeah. Hey, you know, Rob, um, she was just talking about, um, Tara was just saying about what if, you know, the what ifs we did an episode, I think it's called what if, isn't it? Mm -hmm. What if, and I was I was just thinking it'd be fun to turn that around a little bit because our what if episode was, you know, oh, what if it doesn't work out? What if there's going to be too much tra- you know traffic and should I go? And what if and what if? What if you it know, does? What, what if? Yeah, I was thinking you know it'd be we didn't turn it around to what if right the C's part. <laughs> And all the traffic just, you know, parts and I go right through, you know, what if, you know, take your what if to what if another dimension. Yeah. What if organizations are filled with women willing to voice their dissenting opinions that are actually beneficial to the organization? And what if fun and funny is part of the corporate world? Do you know what I mean? Women are funny. They are funny. There's nothing wrong, in my opinion, with a funny woman. <laughs> Not at all, right? But it's it's just this, like, what if you take all of your fantasticness with you to work? And it's not distracting. Yeah. It's actually you, about your authentic it. self, your authentic self. You have to show them who you are. Or what's yep. the point, right? What's the point? Yeah, this is who I am. Yeah. 
good stuff. And if you don't like it organization I'm working at, I will take all of this magnificence elsewhere. Yeah, everybody's not going to like it. Gets it. Yeah, everybody's not going to like it. That's why they make vanilla and chocolate. Everybody is not going to like your idea. You know, they're going to, but that's what you talk about it. You know, it's, that's, that's what it's supposed to be about, you know, to discuss that idea too. Uh, but, um, um, and, and that's the thing, you know, people are afraid to speak up because somebody's not going to like it. That's okay that people don't like it. You know, it's uh, almost like you're, you were talking about your book. Uh, somebody told me once I was actually in real estate for a long time and it was like, um, you know, you get reject, rejection, rejection, rejection. Well, how many did you get? Five. Well, I think you should get 20. Right. And it was a whole different way to look at something like, oh, well, like that's number nine. Right. Yep. So, you know, just at least you're working towards rejection. I love yep. rejection. Reject me. <laughs> okay. I haven't gotten to that point. I do not <laughs> love it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Rob, you can you speak up to rejection? <laughs> I can, I can. can it you? was funny. Oh, that was my baby. Yeah, no. Well, I think uh, it was. I was just um, one of the interviews that we did on uh, the podcast was with a, a founder of a financial software firm, and he was talking about salespeople and the sales process and the types of salespeople that he likes to hire. And it, you know, it, it doesn't. It didn't matter if it was a man or a woman, but it was somebody who understood what it took to be rejected because that's a big part of the sales process is, sure. is hearing no time and again. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for some people and for some people it's, you know, it's, it's just part of the way, you know, it goes. So, you know, he, he looked for certain types of backgrounds. So he looked for people who are coming out of athletics, you know, that have lost games before, uh, he was looking for people who are coming out of the arts, you know, like yourself, a writer, who's been rejected quite a bit, you know, from publishers or actors and actresses who yeah. have lost roles. So I, I really admired the way he thought about the hiring process because it, it took losing into context or it, I'm sorry, it took losing into account. And I thought that was unique. You don't hear that a lot. You know, well, you, you, have hear to, about, you have to be able to shake ahead. it off. You have to be yeah, resilient. You have to shake, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and I think what, you know, kind of taking this conversation full circle, when you speak with people who come from various backgrounds, particularly different socioeconomic backgrounds, um, you know, there, 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 there could be more hardships on their resume. It's not in writing, you know, but, but it's, it's in them. So you, you, you get to pull those experiences from them and then they can apply that to the workplace in a way that other people can then replicate, which is, you, you think this is hard? Yeah, this isn't hard. When's it due? 10 o'clock tonight? This isn't hard. We'll, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. So yeah. I, th I think that's the kind of, um, you know, behaviors that, uh, you know, getting mom to your question, when you hear that, uh, unfortunately, when you hear that, it's, it, that's the, uh, the tends to be, it's the, definitely the brightest star in the, in the room in terms of conversation, but it's also the most unique, you know, it, it, it's like a comet. It comes every 30 days. You hear someone speak like that and it's, it's, it's refreshing when you do hear it, but it's, it's fewer and far between. And I, I, I do hope Tara that your book gets published sooner than yeah, later. Me too. And, me too. And, Thank you. And, it, and, and in the meantime, uh, you have a wonderful website, uh, www.terasalinas.com. And I'll spell your last name. It's going to be on the podcast, but it's S-A-L-I-N-A-S.com. 
uh, and you can find more information on Tara's research, what she's working on uh, with tightroping. I love that you're soliciting people's stories. Um, I'm sure you're going to have a lot of anecdotal evidence that's going to go along with your, uh, you know, with your with your data and research that you're going to be doing. But this was just a fantastic conversation. Uh, we really appreciate it. We really appreciate your time. We'll definitely push this. Uh, we'll push this episode of the podcast out to every publisher we know. And, <laughs> Thank you. And if it doesn't get published right away, you can re-listen to this episode over and over again on our website, which is www.12poundpodcast.com. You can find this episode and our past episodes. And I'm going to say it one more time because we really did enjoy this at www.tarasalinas.com. Uh, we hope you check out her research. Uh, we love the conversation. Uh, we love Barry Litsky, and we <laughs> hope to see you in person soon in the Philadelphia area. Thank you. I will. 